Open your Bible to Matthew chapter number 1. St. Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter number 1. We've been speaking all month on the seed of the woman. Genesis chapter number 3 says this. says, the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. And ever since God said that, that was right after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, ever since God said that, the devil has been very confused and very aggressive to try to penalize the seed of the woman. He doesn't understand what God was saying when he said the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent. But me and you understand that the seed of the woman is a direct reference to Jesus Christ because in typical terms, a woman does not have seed, a woman has an egg. So the seed of the woman is the prophecy that there would be a virgin birth that would bruise the head of the serpent so from that point until jesus christ was born uh, uh, the people who claim jehovah god as their god have been looking for the messiah have been looking for the one who is coming that will bruise the head of the serpent. So as Christians, you and me ought to be more familiar uh, with the Christmas story in every way than any other religion or, or ideology. That means uh, I'm not personally, I don't care where your convictions lie on it, but I'm not so anti-Santa Claus that I, that I don't you know, let my kids take pictures with him. I don't mind. But at the same time, we do not teach our children that, that Christmas is about Santa Claus. We teach our children that Christmas is about Christmas. Christmas is about Jesus Christ. It's about the King of Kings and the Lord of and the Lord of Glory being born in a manger, so that you and me would have an opportunity later uh, to choose Christ as our Redeemer, as our Savior, and spend eternity with Him instead of eternity away from Him. So Christians ought to be familiar with the Christmas story, and it all started uh, in Genesis chapter number three when mankind fell from grace. What happened is Adam and Eve were sitting there, and Eve begins to have a conversation with a snake which uh, should have been her first clue that she was doing something she shouldn't have done because nobody should get near a snake let alone talk to a snake uh, but she's talking to a snake and the Bible says that the snake beguiled her or, or tricked her and that's the same thing the devil still does today he tries to beguile you he tries to tell you uh, crazy things that are filled with poor doctrine I was uh, talking to somebody just recently and they said to me, they said, you know, I, I just somebody told me one time that I'm not worthy of this, this, and this. I said, wait a minute, of course you're not, neither am I. But Jesus is worthy, and that's why we can go to the throne and make our requests known unto God. So there's all kind of things that will beguile you. Bad doctrine will beguile you. The idea that God doesn't love you and want to bless you is a theology that will beguile you. It will, it will cause you to do things that are contrary to the Word of God. So the snake, the devil, he talks to Eve and he says have a bite of this fruit and she takes a bite of the fruit and then she gives the fruit to her husband and God's come, God comes walking in the garden and the Bible says that Adam and Eve hid uh, behind some trees and, and God says where are you and listen to me when God asks you a question it's not because he doesn't know the answer it's because he wants to make sure you know the answer so what God was saying is he was going Adam and Eve where are you you were here you were spotless blameless and able to stand in my presence and now you are here you cannot stand in my presence that's why you're hiding in and amongst the trees that's why you've gone and cut down a bunch of leaves and made yourself some clothes out of it in other words that's when that's why you guys have decided that you're going to have to try to save yourselves with 
the works of your hands. So he says to him, he says, what has happened to you? You were here. Now you are here. Where are you? And Adam and Eve says, well, uh, here's the situation. Adam speaks for the two. Isn't it interesting that when the devil was talking to his wife, he didn't speak up. But as soon as God shows up, he starts blaming his wife. So he says, he says, here's the deal. He says, uh, this woman that you gave me, gave me this fruit. That's excuse number one. So God goes, okay, I'll play your game. He says, Eve, what's with the fruit? She goes, well, that snake you made told me to eat it. That's excuse number two. He looks at the snake. He said, here's the deal, snake. You lost your legs. Now you're going to roll on your belly the rest of your life, and you're going to eat dust, and there's going to be enmity between you and the woman, and the seed of the woman's going to bruise your head. And all from that time forth, the devil has been attacking the womb of the woman, trying to kill children and babies. Nowadays, they don't even have to be born uh, for him to kill them. He'll just kill them in the womb and tell somebody that's okay, tell somebody that's some kind of a, a birth control ideology, which is nonsense. It's not true. It's not in the Bible. It's not even remotely accurate. The bottom line is from the time God said the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent, the serpent has been attacking the womb of womanhood. So, anyways, I'm trying to get to Bethlehem. Y'all, we're starting in Genesis, so I hope y'all got about six hours. We're going to get there. But anyhow, so he says to him, he says, where are you? And they're hiding among trees. And they're, they're sitting there, and they're trying to cover themselves up. And he says, well, we're hiding, God. Why are you hiding? We're hiding because we're naked. Who told you you're naked he said well the fruit what fruit the fruit your wife gave the fruit my wife gave me and he goes on and he makes all these excuses and finally god has to take adam and eve and throw them out of the garden because he was concerned that they would go eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and eat excuse me the tree of life which would give them eternal life which means they would live forever separated from god instead of forever in communion with god does that make sense So God, for your sake, my sake, and Adam and Eve's sake, sends them out of the garden so that they would not receive eternal life in their current state. Because their current state was separate from God. So Adam and Eve then go and they begin to procreate and you and I uh, uh, can trace our lineage back to them until there's a time when the, the wickedness of man was so great that there was really only one family uh, that, that hadn't turned completely from God. as a family whose the patriarch's name was Noah. He spends a hundred years and he builds a big boat and he puts all the animals in it. Two by two, they get in the, they get in the boat. Then the Bible says it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. Of course, the, the, the boat elevates on the water. So here's the scenario. Even in your life, when it seems like it's raining from Sunday to Sunday and you can't figure out how it's going to stop or when it's going to stop, here's the situation. God took Noah and his family and the thing that was drowning the rest of the world, the thing that was causing trouble for the rest of the world, took God's people and just elevated them to a place higher than they could have been otherwise. So he, raised, he, he takes that boat and he raises it up and then the Bible says that uh, after the waters receded enough and dried up enough that that boat came to rest on a mountain and Noah comes out of the boat and he begins to make a sacrifice and it becomes a great uh, uh, perfume and savor for God. And that's when God said, I will never destroy the earth this way again. And he said, from that point on, now we're at uh, Genesis 8.22, he says, he says, seed time and harvest will exist forever. So this is the process that God instituted after Noah's boat came to rest on Mount Ararat. Well, now... Now, uh, God's people began to procreate and continue to expand and, and get larger. And God begins to develop a covenant. And he uses a man named Abram. 
a man named Abram who was married to a, man, a woman named Sarah. And he says to her, he says, he says, Sarah, he says, he said, God spoke to me. This is Abram talking. He says, he told me to go and find a city whose builder and maker is God. And Sarah said, great, where is he? He said, I don't know. He said, what do you mean you don't know? And not like normal man, I don't know. Not like I know where it is on the map, I just can't get there. Like, I don't know. we got to walk by faith. So uh, Sarah says, fine, I'll go with you. And they begin to walk by faith. And they're following after the things of God. And the Bible says that they were barren. They had no children together. So he begins uh, to make promises to him. And some of you guys have received promises from God that you have never seen or experienced yet. But that doesn't mean you should let go of that promise. Because in the right season in the right time you are going to receive what god has promised you so abraham uh well his name was still abram at the time but abram he's sitting there and god says you're going to have kids so uh, they they try and had no kids no kids no kids and finally sarah says well i tell you what why don't we just uh, do this ourselves i'll bring another lady over here and you can have a child with her and i can tell you this much that wasn't 2014 because i don't know a woman on the planet that would do that today but sarah uh comes and, and brings this other lady and and abram who should have said no uh we're going to believe god we're going to believe he's going to do it uh the way he says he's going to do it they agree and, and they end up uh, having a baby through this other lady named, and they named the baby Ishmael. Well, Ishmael is not the child of the promise. Matter of fact, uh, that's kind of where Christianity or, or Judaism and Islam split. Uh, Ju- uh, Judaism believes that Isaac, which is the baby that that, that, Sarah, that Sarah has later, is the child of the promise, and we can see that all through the Scripture. But 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 I- Islam believes that Ishmael is the child of promise. Well, that's completely contrary to the Word of God. So this is where it splits with us and them, so to speak. So I- Isaac begins to grow up, and uh, God is he's so happy because Abram is so happy, Abraham, because he's got a son. And then all of a sudden, God tells Abram, He said, "I'm not I'm not interested." and you're looking for a city right now, I want you to take your son up on a hill and I want you to kill him. And Abram says, what? You want me to what? But by faith, they're walking up the mountain together. And as they're going up the mountain, the Bible says that Isaac, being a smart young man, looks at his daddy Abraham. He says, Daddy, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide a lamb one of the great prophecies of the soon coming Christ. So they go and they go up the mountain and the Bible says that he lays him up there and they build the altar and are about to crucify him. And right there in that moment, the angel of God stays the hand of Abraham and he shows him a ram that's caught in the bushes, that's hung in the bushes, if you will, by his horns or by his head. And God shows him this is the sacrifice that's going to be made. But the situation was not that God was going to allow Isaac to be dead. He wanted you and me to see the value of what Christ is going to be to you and me. The only begotten son would be slain for you and for me. Abraham had one son of promise and God told him, I need you to take him up on the mountain and kill him. And God was showing us what was actually going to happen uh, some some 4,000 years later. Three or 4,000 years later. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob begins has an encounter with an angel and sleeping on a rock. And the Bible says he sees all kind of things, all kind of angels going up and down and up and down a ladder and different different things taking place in the supernatural realm. And the Bible says that Abra, that uh, I, uh, Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. Well, Israel is the same Israel that's over in the Middle East right now. It's why they chase they, they, they trace their lineage back to it. And Jacob he had a son named Joseph. And Joseph. 
Joseph is the guy with the coat of many colors, if you remember, who was told to be dead and thrown in the pit, and then he got uh, sold into slavery, thrown in the prison, and finally became the prime minister of an area called Egypt. Well, when he was in Egypt, he had great favor because the Spirit of God was all over him. So with the Pharaoh, with the king, he had unbelievable Pharaoh and, and just everything was taking place good in his life until finally the very people who had rejected him and sold him into slavery came needing something from him and instead of him knee-jerking vengeance for vengeance, he understood that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and he decided to bless the people who had cursed him and all of a sudden his family is able to come back together and a strong way here's the situation there's people in your family who have cursed you maybe not to your face and maybe not saying i curse you but they've just turned their back on you and they said certain things to you in the right season and the right time god's going to bring those people back to your doorstep and it'll be your opportunity to bless them when everybody else would curse them so Joseph dies, the Bible says, and his last request is, don't let my bones be buried in this God-forsaken land. So they said, okay, we won't let your bones be buried. Well, a new Pharaoh comes up who didn't know Joseph, the Bible says, and uh, began to be very hard and difficult to the Israelites. And he would uh, get all kind of uh, rules and regulations on them. Well, one of the things that he did is he told them, we don't want too many Israelites being born because they'll overtake us. So I want you to kill all the children. This is not uh, anything new. It's the spirit of abortion. It began in Genesis chapter number 3 whenever uh, God says that the seed of the woman is going to have enmity uh, that, that the seed of the woman will have enmity with the serpent and the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent so from that standpoint the devil was now attacking again the, the people of God because he knew that one day there would be a deliverer that would rise up in that storm well here's the scenario they said we're going to kill all the baby boys well uh, they messed up because there was one woman who believed God and knew that that wasn't the way that it would be and she took her little baby and she made a basket for him and she put that basket in the river and the, ba and the basket floated down and the uh, king the pharaoh's daughter sees the baby in the basket picks the baby up and raises that baby in the palace that baby's name is moses and moses grows up and he is raised as a prince and then one day he realizes that it's better to be with god's people and live a pauper than it is to be a prince and serve the devil so he goes on and, and, and he realizes, I'm sick of my people being criticized and, and, and hurt and persecuted. So he ends up getting in trouble and he runs off in the wilderness. But here's the problem. You can't run from God when he's got a call on your life. There's an appointment that God's going to show up in your life in the right season, right time, and the right moment, and no devil in hell can stop it. Nothing's going to stop it from happening to your children. Nothing's going to stop it from happening to your grandchildren. That encounter has already been predestined according to the Scripture, and when it takes place, the fire of God is going to change them forever. So Moses is out in the wilderness and he's tending his flocks because he ended up meeting a guy named Jethro and marrying one of his daughters and everything's good for old Moses. And then he sees a bush, the Bible said, that's on fire. But it's an interesting bush because it's not being consumed. Well, here's the situation. You and me are like a tree planted by the river of water that will bring forth its fruit and its season and its leaf will not wither. You and me are trees of God and the fire of God will come on you. But because you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, the fire of God will not consume you but rather empower you 
So Moses sees the bush that's on fire, and he says, what's going on? And God says, take your shoes off. Nobody take your shoes off. But he says, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. So he takes his shoes off. He talks to him. He says, here's the situation. He said, you're going back to Egypt, the place you ran from, and I'm going to use you to set my people free. Moses said, wait a minute. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. That's something I've never said. He said, I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue, which is to say immediately he began to expose his weaknesses to God. But what you and I would find out through the lens of the Scripture is where we are weak, he is strong. So Moses says, here's where I'm weak. God says, fine, I'm strong as an ox, a holy ox. He says, you can take your brother. But he never let his brother talk when he got in front of Pharaoh. He said, you can take your brother, your brother can speak with him. Aaron was his name. He's the one who the priesthood comes through. But anyway, Moses then goes back to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. He says, no. He claws down all kind of plagues from heaven. God does all kind of crazy miracles. And, and what happens is, is finally, Pharaoh won't let him go. And God tells Moses, you go tell the people that I'm going to take the firstborn of every family. And the only way that I will not do that is if I see the blood of the lamb on a doorpost. The blood of a spotless lamb. So Moses goes back. He says, here's the deal, guys. Everybody needs to get a spotless lamb. They need to kill it. And they need to put the blood on the doorpost. Because tonight, God's going to come calling for what belongs to him. And the Bible says that the first fruits belong to God. So the firstborn already belongs to God. So he wasn't taking something that was not his. He was literally just calling a debt that was owed. So the angel of the Lord comes that night and the the angel of death, the Bible says, comes that night and there's weeping and wailing and all kind of problems because the death angel came and took what was owed to God. And that could happen at any moment in time right now. There is a debt owed by every person The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The only way that you get those things paid is to have somebody pay them in your stead. That is Christ Jesus. That's what he's all about. So the people, uh, they take the blood of the lamb and they put it on the doorpost. Well, the reason they put it on the doorpost and not the doors is because the Bible would later teach us that Christ Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says that he is the door and the Bible says that our job is to lift him up because he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me and the door doesn't need the blood because Jesus is the blood, the doorpost. That's me and you, the ones who hold up the banner of Christ. We're the ones that have to be covered in the blood. So Jesus then come, uh, the death angel comes and takes from uh, the firstborn of every family and all of a sudden Pharaoh has a change of heart instantly and begins to say, I tell you what, I'm going to let these people go. Well, here's the situation. The Israelites are now free to walk out of Egypt and they're free to walk out of Egypt and the Bible says that they're not just walking out of Egypt, they're walking out with more gold and silver than they could carry because the enemy of God was trying to bless the people of God even on their way out and they show up and they get to a place called the Red Sea. Well, the Red Sea is in front of them and Pharaoh's army has a change of heart and decides he's going to kill them and he's chasing them down from behind. And Moses is standing there and people begin to get a little worried. They say, Moses, there's a big sea in front of us and there's death behind us. What are we going to do? And and Moses says, here's what we're going to do. And he stretches forth his rod and the Bible says that the waters part in front of him. So can I just say it like this? God saved them by the blood of the Lamb and the very first act that you and I can see take place whenever they are saved is they are baptized in water. They go through the water. 
Then the Bible says they get into a place called what we just call the wilderness experience. And they're out there and they're having to believe God for everything. And they said, we're thirsty. Uh, we need something to drink. And Moses takes his rock, takes his rod and he hits a rock. And the Bible says water comes out. And that's because the Bible would later teach us that the corners, the, the, the stone that was rejected would become the cornerstone of a whole new world. That's Christ Jesus. And the Bible says that we're to be washed with the water of the word. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Out of the rock Christ Jesus flowed water that's unstoppable and still unstoppable today. The Bible says that they're wandering through the wilderness and they get hungry. And God says, well, I tell you what, I'll give you some bread. It's called manna. And they gave him this, they gave him all this, God gave him all this interesting type bread. Then they said, well, you know what? Uh, We'd like to try the Atkins diet. Do you have any protein? And God says, yes, I'll give you some quail. So they had quail and they had bread and they had water out of a rock and everything that they needed. And the Bible says that the whole time he was just teaching them to trust him. This is whenever Moses goes up to the mountain and he gets the Ten Commandments and he comes back only to find out that the people of God had turned from God. And so he goes back up the mountain, gets another copy of the same text message, and then he says, here's the situation. There was a covenant that God gave me before, but as soon as I got down here, you broke it, so now I've got to go get a new covenant and bring it back. Well, here's the situation. In your life and in my life, God had an original covenant, and man destroyed it in the Garden of Eden. And the second opportunity, his name is Christ Jesus, and he's the one that lives and reigns forever. So what happens next is they get to a place and they're fixing to cross over into what we call the promised land. They're going to cross a river called the River Jordan. But now all of a sudden when they get to the other side of the river, the the bread and the quail, it just stops. So now God's showing them, listen, I understand you have to know how to trust me. But when you get to the place where you do, now you have to live off of your seed. He never told them to build a barn in the wilderness. But when they got to the promised land, you need to build barns and you need to prepare and you need to have savings accounts and you need to begin to cultivate the land that I'm giving you. It's the same thing in your life and in my life. God is teaching us all constantly how to live for Him. When to live for Him. What moves to make. But there is a responsibility on our side of the table too that says we have to live by His precepts and we have to live by His promises in order to access the kingdom life that Jesus paid for. So they get and everything uh, goes and all kind of different things rise up. We have several different uh, uh, prophets that rise up. Then the people said they wanted a king and God gives them a king. And uh, life just keeps going. And finally we get to the New Testament where Mary and Joseph are engaged to be married. Matthew chapter number 1 and verse 18 says this. Says now the birth of Christ was on this wise, meaning it happened like this: when, as his mother Mary was espoused to be uh, was espoused to Joseph, she was engaged to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Verse nineteen. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately, privately, privately. He was a just man. The Bible says that God does not change. says there is no shadow of turning in Him. The Bible says it like this. You will know who love me because they keep my commandments. This Christmas season, get good at keeping God's commandments. 
If you do not know them all, Jesus made it very simple because somebody came and asked him. They said, what is the most important commandment that you have in your kingdom, Jesus? And he said, there are two. Number one, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. If you can do those two things, then God knows that you love him. Can I just say this? Love is not a feeling. Love is not just an emotion. Love is a verb defined very specifically in a couple of parts of the Bible. One, it says, for this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He first loved us. Another place in 1 Corinthians 13, if you've ever been to a wedding where anybody is a Christian, you have heard this. It says, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious, love is not boastful. All the different things that love is. So you can define love in your own life very simply. If you find yourself not loving somebody first, then you're really not loving them. If you find yourself not being patient with your husband, then you're really not loving him. It doesn't mean that you're not in love with Him. It just means in that particular moment you are not loving Him. If you are not being kind to your wife, regardless of why, listen to me, regardless of why, if you are not being kind to your wife, you are not loving her. You can say, I love you all day long, but you are not loving her if you are not doing what the Bible says love is. Love first, love somebody else, not because they love you. So he says uh, uh, that Joseph was a just man. Isn't it interesting? God calls just people, people who are actively pursuing His kingdom and His presence and trying to fulfill the things that He's asked them to do. Verse 20 says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto you Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Here's the scenario. God's most favorite salutation when He sends a message to you is fear not. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of the trials and tribulations that come. Do not be afraid in the middle of the night when you hear something. Do not be afraid when you can't sleep. Do not be afraid when the devil tells you that you're going to die of an illness. Do not be afraid if the devil tells you your kids are never going to live for God. Do not be afraid when the teacher tells you your kids are slow learning. Do not be afraid when something happens at work and you can't figure out how you're going to make ends meet. Do not be afraid because the God of heaven and earth has not fallen off His throne and He will still supply your needs according to His riches and glory and not anything else. Do not be afraid. He said, don't worry about it, Joseph. He said, this baby that everybody's worried about is of the Holy Ghost. I'm moving very quickly this morning because we've got a lot of ground to cover before Christmas. But listen to me. Do not ever exclude the supernatural from your thought process. Do not ever exclude the supernatural from your belief process. 
There is a natural mind and it sees natural things. There is a supernatural realm that your spirit is in tune with, but you cannot exclude the supernatural in your life as a Christian. So when the angel spoke to Joseph, he goes, Listen, I know you can't see it. I know your mind can't understand it, but the Holy Spirit has done something here and He's going to change all of eternity forever, but you cannot exclude the world workings of the Holy Spirit in your life. That means when you're praying and you've got a problem and you say, I don't know what to do, but the Holy Spirit knows what to do. And in the name of Jesus, I am believing God for supernatural influence and impact in my life. Don't exclude the Holy Spirit in any state. Don't exclude the Holy Spirit in any part of your life. Listen, I know people that were broke one day and millionaires the next. I know people that were sick one day and healed the next. I know people that were believing for a family member or a child and in one moment, in one instant, God moved on that family and changed them forever. We can't exclude the Holy Spirit in our lives. Verse 21. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus will save people from their sins. Think about it like this. Say you are in a lake filled with hungry alligators or crocodiles, whatever. And you know you have just got no time left. And suddenly somebody throws you a lifeline and pulls you out of that lake filled with hungry, man-eating alligators and sets your feet on solid ground and dusts you off and cleans you up and puts you in a right state of mind and tells you everything's going to be okay. Listen to me, that's what Jesus did for you and for me. Everybody who's called on His name has been pulled from the grip of death and placed into the land of life. Don't walk back into the lake. There's doctrine out there that teaches you can do whatever you want to do and it's half right. Everybody can do what they want to do. But why in the world would you want to go back to the place that Jesus rescued you out of? His plans for you are better than you could ever ask or think or come up with on your own. But He has a recipe. And if we will follow it, we will definitely uh, see the hand of God move in our life. Verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken to the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which which is being interpreted... God with us. There are a few non-negotiables in the Christian world. One of them is the virgin birth. There are some things that we have to stand on and never move. Let me give you some examples. Jesus Christ was crucified. You cannot move off of that point. If we give up ground where the fact that Jesus was crucified, we have no payment for our sins. Number two, Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus did not defeat death, hell, and the grave, then we are all sitting here for naught. But He did. We can't move one inch off of that. God created the world in seven days. 
Was it literally seven 24-hour periods? I don't know. I know the scripture says that one day is as to a thousand years for the Lord. Was it 7,000 years? I don't know. Was it 7 million? I don't know. But I'm not moving off the cross. And I'm not moving off the resurrection. Virgin birth is critical. It's the fulfillment of the prophecy in Genesis. It says the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. We can't move off the fundamentals of our faith because when you start, there's no stopping. Jesus was born to a virgin. Was born in a manger, in a stable, laid in a manger. These are facts that as Christians we cannot allow our mind to dispute. But rather simply allow our mind to believe. Verse 24 says, Then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, had told him to do, and took unto him his wife. James chapter 1 says it like this. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only Joseph was told what to do and interestingly he did it in your life and in my life we have the grand will of God you can find it in red and black letters and words in your Bible But there's things that God has put on your heart and told you to do. Spoken unto you. Just do it. Just do what the Spirit of God says. And you'll experience what the Spirit of God has. Joseph was not just a hearer of God's Word, but a doer only. Also. Verse 19 said this. Joseph was her husband. Being a just man. And not willing to make her a public example. Go to verse 19 if you can on the screen. Not willing to make her a public example. Was minded to put her away privately. One translation says... Because he was a righteous man and because he didn't want to disgrace her, he intended to divorce her privately because back then, if you were engaged, you couldn't just give the ring back. But he didn't want to disgrace her. In your life and in my life, there's people that are going to come to you and it might not even be convenient when they do. They will have wronged you in the past. They will have said things about you that really hurt in the past. They might even say something again. The Bible says that God with us, Emmanuel, came to save us from our sin. 
in your life and in my life, the greatest opportunity you will ever have to win somebody to God is when you have every reasonable right to persecute them and to disgrace them. You're unwilling to do it. God could not have picked a better stepdaddy for Jesus than Joseph. Because before he knew that Mary was pregnant by God, he was not willing to let her be disgraced and to be publicly humiliated. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12 that love covers all sins. This is the season when people just get more tender. This is the season when people just get more open to the things of God. Let the Joseph anointing get on you so that you never look at anybody again and say, I'm going to teach them I'm going to show them. Now they're going to get it. Now they're going to... No, 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 no. Refuse to let somebody in your circle of influence be disgraced and see how much God will use you when He can trust you with that kind of love. I was baptized in love. It's... Just a slang that I use. By some ministers that I, I just, I've never seen love at their level. And I was exposed to it and it, it changed me forever from the inside out. And since that moment I've had lots of opportunities. Where somebody would have come and got every reasonable right to disgrace them and shame on you and all this other stuff but I had no concept of how effective being unwilling to let them feel disgraced I had no concept of the power of that kind of love here's what God would say to you today if you don't know Him, if you're not in right standing with Him, if you've never trusted Jesus with your life and trusted Him with your eternity, He would say to you, I'm unwilling to let you be disgraced. I'm unwilling to let you be shamed. Or He would say it like this, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Same thing. In your life and in my life, the anointing, the life-changing ability to cover somebody's sin will revolutionize your ability to win the lost. 